Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 5, where we're headed. There's freedom for you today. There's freedom for your life. You can step into the fullness. Everybody say fullness. The fullness of all the Lord has for you today. Hallelujah. You don't have to live in lack. The Lord doesn't want you living in lack. We've been taking a look over the past couple weeks and breaking the, the bondage of lack, overcoming the spirit of fear, the root of lack has its origins in the spirit of fear. Paul told Timothy, I have not given you a spirit of, but I heard my wife, that was about it. God, I saw mouths move, but I didn't hear, I didn't hear audio. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. Okay, that was kind of a conglomeration of all of it. I think you got the point. <laughs> he's, given, he's given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so breaking that, that spirit of fear or lack in your life starts, begins with, with understanding the power and the authority that God has released into your life. We took a look at last week that the anointing breaks every bondage. There's not one bondage in your life. There's not one addiction one area of torment or frustration or fear, anxiety, that the anointing of God cannot break. He is all-powerful. If God is all-powerful, if He is all-powerful, then there is absolutely nothing that He cannot do. And the great news is, He is absolutely willing to use all power that He has on your behalf. He is. He's absolutely willing. You know, sometimes we get, we get stuck in this place of fear and we think that the anointing, the power of God and the authority that's been released in our life isn't sufficient enough to deal with our bank account. You know, the greatest solution to, to financial difficulty is stepping into the anointing that rests on the tithe. There is an anointing on tithing. And so if you want to break lack in your life, step into the, the power of God that is available through the tithe. It is the ordinance of God. You begin to release your tithe and the, the anointing begins to flow into your finances. It takes that 10, that 10% takes the 90 and makes it holy. It consecrates it to the Lord. The anointing of the Lord begins to flow through your finances. If it's, if it's a health issue or an emotional, no matter what it is you're facing, the anointing is able to break the bondage. The anointing, the Bible says in Isaiah, breaks the yoke. And so the, God has given us power. He's given us love. So, of course, we know that God is love, and so we took a look at a couple weeks ago, having a revelation of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And, you know, I, I have found that most of the time with believers, we have an understanding that God is love. We have an understanding that God is a good God, and, but, but we don't have a revelation of that. We, we operate in an aspect of fear with God, not in a holy reverential fear, but fear in that he's not going to come through, fear that he's not going to do what he said he would do, fear that his promises aren't yes and amen. We operate in not by faith, but in fear. And the reason we operate in fear, the Bible says that perfect love cast out. So the reason that we operate in fear is because we're not we, we're not walking in the love made available to us. We haven't had a revelation of the love of God for us yet. And so the, the discovery that has to happen for us is that God is love unconditionally. Doesn't matter where you're at or what the situation is. Does he love you or does he not? He loves you. <laughs> you know, you don't have to sit and pull the petals off of a rose to figure out whether he does or he doesn't. The reality is, is that he does. 
And you need the Holy Spirit to shed abroad the love of God in your life. And then the third component of that is that God has given us self-discipline, self-control. And so overcoming the spirit of lack, I want to take a look today at the, at the self-disciplines, if you will. The top, the top three that Paul teaches us, the top three that we should always do, self-discipline. So in 1 Thessalonians, as we're going to pick up... <laughs> You know, it's interesting because when you start talking about self-disciplines and discipleship, you know, Jesus ran into this problem. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And half the people that were following him got offended at him and left him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, this offends you? There's the door. You know, he wasn't mixing. You know, you start talking about things like you got to take up your cross and deny yourself daily. You, you offend people with the truth. You know, it's interesting, in, in the church today, we want to we come to church, we want to have our service, feel good about ourselves, and never acknowledge that we have to deal with our ugly selves. Does anybody have issues this morning that the Lord needs to deal with? Of course, all of us do. And so we want to come and feel good, but part of the feeling good is you've got to allow God to transform you. And so we're going to take a look at how that happens this morning. How does the Lord... How do you begin to cooperate with the Lord and transformation take place in your life? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 16 is where we're going to start. And as we do that, I, I just have this mental picture uh, of this verse. And I've got to give you this picture because I'm a dad, and it's Father's Day month. Next week's Father's Day. And, uh, you know, we, we know how this works. And I, I've got this picture of Zoe. And my, my matter of fact, I just had this issue yesterday. You know, we were, uh, people are giving her stuff out at the event, and, you know, we got all sorts of vendors and activities and all those things going on, and she's taking the bubbles and blowing the bubbles, and she's running, you know, she's having a good time. Even though she was having a shy day, she was having a good time, and uh, we got in the car, and she was out before we ever got out of the parking garage. She was out cold, and she had a great time. She had a great day. But we're walking through, and I said, Zoe, you need to tell them thank you, but Daddy, I don't want to. <laughs> Zoe, you need to tell them thank you, but Dad, I don't want to. Or maybe you've had a conversation. Zoe, you don't need to be, ha you don't, shouldn't have a bad attitude. Don't have it, you know, that's a whole other thing. She's getting in, she's usually pretty great, but she's discovering this ability to have a bad attitude now. And Zoe, we don't have a bad attitude. You don't throw a temper. You need to be happy. You need to be thankful. You need to tell your mom thank you. You know, those kinds of things. Anybody been there with your kids? <laughs> never another perfect. You have, Mike has perfect kids. They never had any issues. Um, <laughs> and now he's having perfect kids himself. So <laughs> those grandkids are absolutely perfect, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, we, we get this idea in church that the pastor, you know, we're, you are the little children who are coming into church and the pastor is going to sit there and tell you, be thankful. And then you're going to be thankful. You need to be happy and rejoice in all things, and you're going to automatically do that. I wish that were true. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to give you information today. I'm going to preach the word of God today, and I hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit that something is ignited on the inside of you through the word of God, and that this isn't just words and lip service, but there's a heart change that happens this morning. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then it goes on to say, and I'll just highlight this in verse 19, it says, do not quench the spirit. Now, I, I'm just going to start there for a moment. This isn't necessarily the direction that I want to go, but, but I just want to highlight this verse that follows all of this. Do not quench the spirit. It's interesting that these disciplines of rejoicing always, pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks, it's interesting to me, just throwing this out there, that it is immediately followed by Paul saying, don't quench the Spirit. That word quench means in the Greek to throw water on, to extinguish, or to not fuel the fire and allow it to go out. There's a couple of different ways that the fire of the Spirit, do not quench, can go out. And it's, it's interesting to me that it's the, the fire and the intensity of the fire of God in your life 
is directly proportional to your rejoicing always, praying always, and giving thanks always. And so if you're finding in your life that the Spirit, I'm just offering, this is a free sermon. This isn't part of the entire message. If you don't like it, you can just, you know, scribble out your notes and forget that I said this. You can just, you can take what you like and go home and be okay. But it's interesting to me that Paul connects rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks to the intensity of the fire of God in your life. So if you're lacking in the fire, (laughs) right? (laughs) If you're lacking in the area of the fire of God in your life, maybe your, your fire has gotten down to smoldering embers. Maybe it's gone out. Maybe, maybe this might be a verse, a couple of verses you need to uh, zero in on. And so we know that this, by these words here that Paul uses, that we need to rejoice always, we need to pray always, we need to give thanks always. This is, this is always happening. This is a perpetual act of self-discipline. These are always happening in spite of our circumstance, in spite of our situation, in spite of what we're going through, in spite of how you feel. These things ought to be happening in your life. And so we're going to take a look at these three areas this morning. The first thing that Paul says is that we ought to rejoice always. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This word rejoice in the Greek here that, that Paul is using, this is interesting to me, it's the word Cairo. It's a combination word. The word Cairo means to be filled with exceeding great joy. It means to have an abundance of joy. But it is a combination of words. It's a combination of the Greek word kara, which is joy, and the word charis, meaning grace. In other words, what Paul is saying is that you are to overflow and be an exceeding great joy as a result of the grace of God in your life. You and I can't be truly joyful without the effect of grace in your life. You know, people uh, make comments and say things about the laughter and the joy in our church. I thank the Lord for the joy in our church. (laughs) I thank God for the joy of the Lord and the supernatural joy. But it is a manifestation of the grace and the effect of God's grace in our heart and our life. You know, there are times, and I, you know, in my own life, I'll just pull from my own self, my, my own example here. There are times when I have found myself totally, absolutely inundated with the supernatural joy of the Lord, laughing uncontrollably when my circumstance did not dictate joy. My circumstance said I should be aggravated, should say that I need to fire somebody, should say that I should get upset with someone. Hello? But I step in and say, Lord, I need your grace today. (laughs) I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength today. I don't feel like being happy. Matter of fact, I want to be mad. And I want to let them know how mad I am. (laughs) Have you been there? But the joy of the Lord. Matter of fact, what does Nehemiah say? If If you skip back to Nehemiah, I love the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we'll just see where this, we're going to go on a journey through scripture today. I hope that's okay. Oh, it's not? I'm sorry. (laughs) We're going to go on a journey through Scripture today. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, a very famous Scripture that we quote all the time. Says what? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is your strength today? The joy of the Lord. This this isn't hard. I'm making this very simple for you today. I want you to pass the class. I really do. (laughs) the joy of the Lord is your strength so that tells me that being cranky is not an option being a crusty Christian is not an option 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. There ought to be an overflowing joy bubbling up on the inside of you, even when you don't feel like it. How does that happen? By the grace of God. Paul told us that it is the Cairo, the charis. It is a result. The joy, rejoice always, is a result of the grace of God affecting your life. Do you know that the charis, the word grace, actually is rooted in the word joy, kara? So it's this ongoing cycle of finding joy in God. You were created to find your joy in Him. That's why you were made. It's interesting here because in Nehemiah chapter 8, it wasn't really a joyful time. They were rebuilding the walls. They had lost the law. Ezra, the priest, is has stood up. It's funny, in the, in the verses preceding, you can go and you can read this. In the verses preceding, verse 10, Ezra has read the law, he's read the books of Moses, and the people are crying. They're, they're actually, they're not very happy. They're crying. And Ezra says, stop. This is, this is a day unto the Lord. You're not to be depressed and discouraged. This isn't, we're not reading the books of the law. We're not reading the word of God for you to be depressed. This ought to be producing joy in your life. So go home and be happy. Don't come back until you're happy. Basically what he said. We're going to go home and we're going to be joyful. We're going to be filled with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And then they realized that they're in the midst, their, their time frame, their timetable, what's happening in, at this period in the Jewish calendar is actually the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they come back and they, they discover, hey, we're in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. We need to build, and in, in the Feast of Tabernacles, they would build booths or little tabernacles where the people would dwell and they would celebrate. And, and they began to do this and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, guess what verse that they read in the Feast of Tabernacles? Go to Psalms chapter 118. What is, it, what, is, what is the verse, what do they read, what is the blessing that they declare during the Feast of Tabernacles? I'm going to connect all this for you in just a moment. Like I said, I'm just going on a journey. Hopefully you can hang this morning with me. Psalms 118 and verse 24 is the verse, Psalms 118 verse 24 is the verse that they read at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. <laughs> we will rejoice and be glad in it. So in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, this is what's being read and declared over their lives. We're going to rejoice and be glad in the day that the Lord has made. That word rejoice in the Hebrew is to be full of joy and delight. To shake with joy. Now, I, I've, seen, I've seen this. I've watched this happen. You know, we read, these, we read the scripture as if it's a good story, but this is real life. I've watched people shake with joy. I've watched people under the power of God, under the presence of the Lord, begin to quake under the presence of the Lord with joy. So, so much joy, so much laughter. That's what he wants to do to you. That's what he wants to do with you. He wants you to be uncontrollably happy that you're quaking and shaking with such joy. Some of you aren't so sure about this. Like, that sounds good, Pastor, but we'll let the, we'll let the crazies do that. We'll let the fanatical be overcome with joy. That's, I'm just reading the Bible to you. That's all. I'm just reading the Bible. We will rejoice. This is what it says. We will rejoice. We will delight to shake with joy and be glad. That word glad means to be liberally rejoicing. In the Hebrew there, that word glad means to be liberally rejoicing. It means that you, so what he's saying, we're going to quake with joy and be liberally rejoicing. I'll let you interpret that. 
That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about, the joy of the Lord overflowing in your life. Jesus stood up, the Bible says in John chapter 7, and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. When did Jesus say those words? It was on the last and the great day of the feast. What feast? The Feast of Tabernacles. Out of your belly, it's all connected with the joy of the Lord. With joy, I will draw from the wells of salvation. God has intended for you to be a happy person, full of the joy of the Lord. Absolutely. And it's not just for the fanatical few. Actually, those that are happy in the Lord are the majority. Those of you that are crusty Christians are the minority. You're going to find out when you get to heaven, it's a really happy place. <laughs> I love the phrase, well, I'm happy on the inside. <laughs> it's obvious that the internal... Joy has not yet reached and notified your face. We know. We know. You know, the Bible has an answer for you in that. In Psalms 126, the Bible says that he's filled my mouth with laughter and shouts of joy. So if your joy on the inside of you hasn't notified your face yet, then you need to step into the grace of the Lord and he'll fill your mouths with shouts of your mouths. You have two mouths. He'll fill your, he'll fill your mouth with shouts of joy. It's, it's always been orchestrated this way. It's been, it's been divinely determined that, that the joy of the Lord would be your strength. Jesus said in John 15, he's on his way out. He's given his departure speech, his farewell. You know, it's the, you sit on the airplane and the flight attendant's giving you all the rules. He's on his way. Plane's getting ready to take off and he's giving his last, you better listen because if the plane goes down, this is what you need to know information. And he's standing there, and what in John 15 he says, These things I have spoken to you, not so that you could be cranky. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's all orchestrated that you would be happy, that you would find your delight in God, that you would find absolute fulfillment in Him only. And then he, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That word ceasing in the Greek has a twofold meaning. It means to make it a regular priority, but it also means to stay in a continual spirit or posture of. You are to stay in a continual posture or spirit or attitude of prayer. It means that you are not to engage in anything that would hinder you from being able to pray at any time. As a little kid, you know, around the table and everybody's going to eat, and you ask the question, who wants to say grace? And everybody gets quiet. In church, it's very similar who wants to live a life of prayer? And we all get quiet. The, the attitude here of this word in the Greek is that we are to stay, we are to live in a place of a continual posture of prayer. In Romans 8, 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why? Continuation of this thought. He helps us in our weakness, semicolon. There's a thought attached to this. We have weakness and the Holy Spirit is helping us in our weakness. And this is how he's helping us. Because we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know how we ought to pray. And so the Spirit is going to help us to pray. How does he do that? With groanings that cannot be understood or unutterable. He helped, this is describing praying in the Spirit. This is describing praying. You know, a lot of times we say, well, that's just, you know, moaning and groaning and, you know, and it can be that. 
But it's more than that. If you go and study this, this is what Paul is referencing here is praying in the Spirit. And so we are to allow the Holy Spirit to help us pray. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So if you don't believe me, there's Paul again, writing to the church of Ephesus, Pray at all times in the Spirit. This is the heavenly language that you and I are given freely of the Lord when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the essence. This is the core of a power-packed prayer life. If you have found that your prayer time with the Lord is less than par or less than satisfactory, let me encourage you, advertisement. Offer to expires today. This is a free advertisement based on the authority of heaven, but the offer expires today. Not really. I'm just adding that in. But you need what heaven's got. That is the baptism in the Holy Spirit and your heavenly prayer language. If you have found that you are stopped up in your prayer time, the Holy Spirit will get you loose and flowing again. Yes, I meant that how that sounded. Some of you see faces, people say, does he realize what he just said? And then you have other people say, can I laugh? Is it okay to laugh? Yes, you can laugh in church. Well, you just talked about the joy of the Lord. You can be happy. You need to be free-flowing. Your prayer life needs to be free-flowing. There's the righteous, the prayer, the effective the prayer of the righteous man. I've tried to get it out. I, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to keep your focus sometimes. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It means it makes much power available. So when you, be, when you pray in the Spirit... What's happening is you're in a direct line. It's like somebody's taken the power cord of your lamp and connected you right into full full voltage. You have the access to all power that you need. That's your prayer life. If your prayer life isn't power-packed, you're lacking. Pray in the Spirit. Well, what if I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues? Well, you need to be. But beyond that, begin to pray. Begin to yield to the Lord and ask him to take your prayer life. You know, you might find, you know, this isn't, I'm not suggesting anything by this, but you might find that the reason you've yet to receive is is stage fright. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people, you know, come forward to have hands laid on him to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they're, they're more worried about the eyes staring at the back of their head and what's happening between them and Jesus. Now, let me just say and, and qualify what I, in the statement that I just said there. Nobody's looking at the back of your head. It's going bald anyway, so we're not, you know, it's, it's all falling out. You know, nobody's, nobody's looking at your due or lack thereof. We didn't come here to church for you. So maybe I can help alleviate some stage fright just by saying that. You're, you are free to receive. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going on here at the altar, but you and Jesus. I don't know. And I, I lay hands. I'm trying to minister to everybody here. I don't always know what's going on. There are times I've left the altar and I've said, somebody comes and tells me a testimony. I'm like, wow, that was happening. I had no clue. And I don't. But if you do suffer from stage fright... And, and you're afraid of those that are watching you. I have, I have heard friends and countless testimonies of people that have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit laying on their bed at night, out at the golf course, golfing. Can you imagine what that would do to your golf stroke? I mean, just <laughs> power of God. <laughs> or... In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, 
This word that Paul uses, pray without ceasing, the word prayer there is the word prosecumai. It's the same word in Acts 2.42 that says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. It's prosecumai. It means to pray according to. They were praying according to the apostles' doctrine. They were praying according to what they heard, and they were preserved in. The words in the Greek there in verse 42 means to be kept from spoiling. It's, it's kept and preserved in. As they prayed and they lived according to the, the doctrine that was being taught to them, they were being preserved for future use. So living a life of prayer without ceasing is a life of prayer according to the word of God and it's preserving you. It's keeping you from getting rotten. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. And then, <laughs> then, it, then he goes on and he says, in everything, everybody say everything. everything. In spite of what you're facing, give thanks. In the good times, give thanks. In the bad times, give thanks. Now, this is more than just lip service. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The, the effect of grace is the product of thanksgiving. Let me prove this to you. The word that is used here in the Greek is the word eucharisteo. We get the word eucharist. If you've been around Catholic circles or those that you know call eucharist, they take the eucharist, communion, and, and we'll see that in a moment. I'm going to show you that. But it's the word eucharisteo. It is a compound word. It means to be well, to prosper, the you, to be well, to prosper. It's also made up of the word charizomai, means to bestow or to place forgiveness upon. And then again, we see these wonderful two words, charis, grace, and kara, joy. Eucharisteo, it's a combination word. In other words, it means to offer joyful thanksgiving as a result of the grace freely bestowed. So when Paul says, you know, isn't it amazing? We miss so much in our English translation. So when Paul says to give thanks always, what he is saying is to offer joyful thanksgiving as a result of the grace that has been freely bestowed upon your life. There is grace that has been placed upon your life. There is a grace of God, and the effect of that grace on your life is joy. And the effect of that joy and the effect of the grace in your life, the effect of the forgiveness that you've been given, overflows in thanksgiving. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each other towards one another has grown even greater. So we know that thanksgiving is not just an act of logic. You can logically do lip service. You can logically understand, hey, this person's been nice to me and I need to thank them. Or it can be truly the effect of grace, the abundance, and the overflow of your heart. Now that seems a bit impossible for our natural man to want to give thanks for salvation. I see this on a regular basis. We come together for worship. And, and I, this is by no means, this is, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just, this is an obvious truth. Just take a look sometime. Pastor Grace, am I, you, when, you look at this, when you look and you watch the crowd during worship, and you can see people, when you're, when you're singing the praise and the majesty of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has redeemed your life out of the pit, and all you can muster is a hallelujah. <laughs> praise the Lord. How much thanksgiving is abounding in your life? We, we can teach and preach worship all day long. Grace and her team, Pastor Grace and her team, could get up and hit a, a home run when it comes to worship and the performance side of things. But I can't teach you worship. I can't teach you thanksgiving. I can teach you the principle and the why behind what we do but it is up to you and the effect of the grace of God on your heart as to whether or not you will worship. Now, don't get mad, don't leave. 
Thanksgiving is the overflow of the effect of grace on your life. If you find yourself having a hard time worshiping, if you find yourself having a hard time being thankful, that's why we ought to pray always. That's why we are to rejoice always. You see how all three of these are intertwined? I have found the more that you delight in the Lord, the more you want to be with him. So you're praying continually. And the more that you pray continually and the happier you are, the more thankful that you are. Have you ever seen a kid on Christmas opening up all the Christmas presents and and finding joy and delight in their gifts? They are more likely to be thankful because they're happy. Not necessarily based on what they're receiving. It's just the joy of Christmas and they're thankful. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I would suspect that if you would find your joy in the Lord and you find yourself delighting in his presence, that thankfulness is going to be the bright product. The result is that there's going to be an overflow of thanksgiving in your heart. What does this mean? What does all of this mean? How do I develop these self-disciplines? What are the implications of this one? The greatest display of the glory of God is found in the delight of his children. You know, it would be counterproductive for God if he wanted a bunch of children who were always unhappy with him. Who wants to be a part of a fellowship and a family like that? Oh yeah, we're going to preach salvation, but you've got to be the most unhappy person around. You can come in and be born again, but man, the minute you get born again, welcome to the thorn bush. It's a bit, you know, how many of you ever heard that? It's, it's a, you know, you get a rose, but you're going to get thorns with it too. <laughs> God is most glorified when I am most satisfied with him. When I find my delight, one thing David said, if I desired, that will I seek after my, my utmost desire is for his presence. When you find your delight in him, Jesus said, my joy will be in you and your joy will be to the full. Secondly, thanksgiving is preceded by a heart affected by grace. Thanksgiving is preceded by a heart affected by grace. You cannot make true worship happen. Your life, thanksgiving, the overflow, the abundance of your life is the result of the work of God in you. What God is doing through you and out of you is a result of what he's doing on the inside of you. In Matthew chapter 15, I quoted it earlier, Jesus said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. True worship is understanding the magnitude of my sin, and then I begin to understand the magnitude of his grace. When I understand what separated me from God, that he is a holy God. He's absolutely perfect. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, I have a friend that, that thinks God's sending everybody to hell. How do I minister to that? I'll tell you, God's sending no one to hell. We are all going to hell without him. He's sending nobody. He is a holy God, 100% perfect, and no one, absolutely no one, can enter his presence with, with sin in their life. And we all have sin. We are all going to hell. I don't care how good of a person you are. There are people in hell this moment that are more moral and more good of a person than you are. We are all going to hell. And for someone to stand up and preach and teach and say things that, well, we're just all going to heaven because God loves everybody. God loves everybody, but we are all going to hell. And there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Period. And that message is not a popular message today. I realize that. Jesus Christ, not Mohammed, not Buddha, not whoever. You can go rub somebody. You can come rub Joe's belly all you want. You ain't going to heaven. You're going to feel really awkward. And so will he.
<laughs> Moving along. <laughs> Number three, delighting in God will keep you in a posture of prayer. Sin is finding pleasure in anything more than you do God. That's called making an idol. Number one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, it's all tied in there. Why is that? Why? Why would God say no other gods? Well, if you find someone else that takes his place, why would you want him? If you can find satisfaction in something else beside him, why would you want him? And why would anybody else want him, for that matter? Sin is finding pleasure in anything greater than you do God. You know, it's interesting, because you can have, you know, enjoyments in life. You know, I, I enjoy going to the gun range. I like shooting. You know, I'm not much of a golfer. That's probably not a good thing for me. I'm not a real sports kind of person, but I like to go to the shooting range. It's stress-relieving for me. I enjoy it. Don't cross me. I, <laughs> I'm a good shot. <laughs> My wife's looking at me saying, don't go down this path. <laughs> I enjoy it. But if all I did was go to the shooting range when, when I need to be spending time with the Lord, and I, my focus is all about the range, my guns or this, that or the other thing, then I've missed it. But, but I can go to the shooting range and I can take Jesus with me. And then all of a sudden I find greater delight in the shooting range because now I have guys who I go hang out with and we talk about Jesus, we have a good time. It's all about him. It's different. When you desire God more than anything else, it's not very difficult to have a conversation. When you love him and you desire him and you want to be with him, you just go through the day thinking about him. How are you doing, Jesus? You'd be surprised his answers. I'm happy, but this, you know, this person, oh, I know, I got to deal with him too, Lord. I know all about him. <laughs> They're really just giving me a hard time. I really, I'm, I'm regretting, regretting my decision to love them. Yeah, me too. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you could have a conversation with the Lord. And he'll talk. And the simplest of things. You know, there have been times I've been driving down the road and I'm just... I, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I just worship you. How are you doing today? You need to go right. But Lord, I, I go left. You need to go right. But Lord, I don't want to go right. I go right. There's an accident. Okay, I got it. I should have went left and I would have saved time. You know, it's, it's interesting. Just simple things. You can do that, you know. He wants to have a conversation with you. It's interesting because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, it says this. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. In other words, giving of thanks will replace your sin. When you find your delight in the Lord, He will replace your sin with thanksgiving. What's even more interesting about this, I don't have time to go down this path, but if you go and you study Ephesians 4 and 5, it's the same wording, the same instruction, just a different church. It's very similar. Matter of fact, Paul even writes to the church in Ephesus, instead of the word don't quench, he uses the word don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't cause him pain. Within the context of prayer and thankfulness, you can only grieve someone who you love. If I don't love you, if I don't know you and you die, I might feel sadness, but I'm not feeling pain or sorrow. I'm not grieved by that. But if I love you and I have a relationship with you, I can be grieved. 
And so again, Paul in, in Ephesians, he's talking about our relationship and dependence upon God and our communion with him. You know, have you ever gone, and I, and I can say this because we, you know, living in the South, have you ever gone to the South and you've, you've heard a different accent than people up here use? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody know that there's a different? Okay, just making sure. You're all, there's, I'm not being, you know, north and south. I'm just telling you, there's different accents. In in New Orleans, there's different accents. You know, depending on where you're at around the lake or where you're at around the river, it's you would think. Well, it's all New Orleans. They all have the same accent. That's incorrect. You have the Metairie Yat. You have the Bayou. <laughs> Whatever you call the Bayou Cajun. My wife can do it. Someday she'll, she'll show you. She's from the bayou. She's Cajun. She really is. She's, I'm serious. She's Cajun. She's from Lafayette. She's down there with all those Cajuns. So it's funny. I talked to someone this week that was from the, where? She's down. Where was Rihanna from? She's from, she's from the bayou. She's from the bayou. Down in the boot. Yeah, she's down there. She... And I'm listening to her talk, and I, was, I said, Rihanna, it is so nice to talk to someone with a Cajun accent. I haven't heard that Cajun accent in a long time. <laughs> There's a distinct accent, let me tell you. And depending on where you're at in New Orleans, it is strong. It's thick. You know, you've all watched Swamp People, right? Okay. <laughs> That's not New Orleans. That's swamp. That's out in Homa. And anyway, okay, I'll stop. So, I'm, we're having a good, we're having the joy of the Lord this morning. We're good. My wife's telling me to wrap it up. Anyway. I got off on a tangent, but, but you, depending on where you go, there's different accents. Wherever you hang out, and you can pick up the accent. I'm not, I'm not from New Orleans, but when I lived there, I picked up part of the accent. When I, moved, when I went back to the north, people said, you got an accent. I said, well, I, don't, I don't think I have an accent, but I picked up the accent. My mom's from the south. She's got a southern accent. You go to South Carolina, she really has a southern accent when she gets home. You know, when you hang around hell and devilish people, you want to know what accent you pick up. It's called grumbling. It's called grumbling. Grumbling is the accent of hell. You want to know what the accent of heaven is? Thanksgiving. When you hang around heavenly-minded people, people that, that delight in the Lord, they're always talking about Jesus. They're always talking about the goodness of the Lord. They're always overflowing with, with the love of the Lord and thanksgiving for all that he's done. Well, I have more notes, but my wife told me to stop, so. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Heather. Living under the blessing of the Lord. It's good you can have fun in church. Good you can have fun in church. I like having fun in church. I like having fun with the body of Christ. <laughs> Love of the Lord. You need to be happy. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. The effect of God on your life. Now, here's my question for you. I've laid out for you the disciplines, the Paul's top three, if you will, of the things we ought to always do. I'm not going to ask you how joyful you are and how much time and prayer, you know, we could do a survey this morning and find out how many hours you spend in prayer. And this reality, it doesn't really matter how many hours you spend in prayer. Paul said, do it unending. So, you know, I'm not into all those kinds of things. Well, how many scriptures do you read a day? Just read the Bible. You might get two words in. 
Just read the Bible. Two words, Jesus wept, will change your life. Just read the Bible. I'm not asking, I'm not trying to put a religious box on you this morning. Here's my question for you though. Is there effective grace on your heart? Is God affecting your life? Because if he is, this is the result. This is the byproduct of God affecting your heart. You're rejoicing always. You're praying without ceasing. In all things, you're giving thanks. Well, I'm, I'm not really praying always, and I'm not really, I'm definitely not happy. You know, you start to, you know, you check, you check the checklist. We all do. So you're checking the checklist this morning, and you're falling short. Here's my encouragement for you. Don't go to the Lord and say, I need to laugh for two hours a day. Don't go in prayer and say, I'm going to shut myself in my room all day today, and I'm going to pray for 24 hours, and I'm going to get the breakthrough. You might spend 24 hours in there and lose your mind. I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, really, it can't hurt. But what am I talking about? It can't hurt. Just go. Just try it. You know, who knows? But don't go with your laundry list, your checklist to the Lord. What I would say that you need to do is say, Lord, I need to be affected by you just a little bit more. I need to be, I need to be touched by you just a little bit more. I need, to be, I need to be changed by your presence just a little bit more. I need, I need your love just a little bit more in my life. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.